Good morning. It's wonderful to be here with you again this morning. We thank you so much for your presence to worship and fellowship together this morning. And we're so grateful to have our visitors with us and those of you who are joining us online. We were running late last Wednesday getting here. We had a high school uh, soccer meeting for parents. And uh, so we got here about three minutes after uh, class was supposed to be starting. And, uh, but that, that's unusual, but it gave me an opportunity to see something really special. We you know, came around uh, Henderson here and came to that four-way stop, about to turn right here on Main Street and then turn left into the parking lot. And at this stop sign right here, by that time, by, by 6.30, what does it look like outside? It's dark, right? And what can you see when you're parked, when you're, when you're sitting at that stop sign? You see the light on our sign, our sign lit up on the corner right there. And then you can't see anything else because the light, you know, it's dark outside, but you can see the lights on in our foyer. And from that four-way stop, I could see our church sign, and I could see people in the foyer in here who were still out here talking and fellowshipping and hugging and shaking hands and, and smiling and visiting because that's the kind of church family we have. And that was pretty special. I'm glad I was running late and got to see that because I don't get to see that kind of thing from that perspective very often. And so I think that's something special. You know, Jesus said, uh, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another, John 13, 35. And I hope that we never lose that. I hope that only grows among us and that other people come to know that about them, that they feel that from us and that that helps bring them into the family of God, that they feel that from us, us and they come to know Christ from their relationships with us. I think that's wonderful. I think that's a wonderful quality of a faithful church, and that's what we're talking about today, a faithful church. As we conclude our series on looking at First and Second Timothy and Titus, uh, we've looked at a number of different topics throughout, and we finish by looking at our final lesson on a faithful church. So turn with me to Titus chapter 3. And just like Paul told Timothy, he tells Titus, remember these things, remind them. He has some, he's, been telling, he's been telling Timothy to remember all these things. He's been telling Titus to remember all these things for you personally. Now he's saying, I want the church to remember these things. I want you to remind them of these things that are important for them to know. These are things that a faithful church needs to know. And he writes, remind them of these things. And so it's okay to be reminded of some things every now and then. We, we can't just expect to hear uh, a lesson on one thing one time and we don't revisit that subject for a long time. When, when you read Paul's letters and Jesus too, what he, what, what's recorded of what he said and what he taught, you, you see a lot of things said over and over again, maybe in different ways. Why? Because those things were said over and over and over again in different ways to different audiences because there's certain things that God is communicating in His Word. God's Word doesn't say everything about everything. It says only what God wants to say to people so that they can learn about Him. So 
Paul writes to Titus, remind them. And he writes of these important truths. Verses 1 through 3, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. See, Christians are, he's saying, first of all, to follow the law and be good citizens up and to the point unless, you know, government says you cannot follow God's word or it forbids you, uh, it it requires you to disobey God's word, then, then that's the line. But other than that, beneath that, we're supposed to just be good, decent human beings and citizens of planet Earth. That's what he's saying. But then we've covered that before, but I want to get to the point, I want you to see the point that he says to be ready for every good work. Do you see that? Be ready for every good work. Of all the important things Paul could have said right here to remind them of things, to remind them of these things, this is what God had Paul write. He wanted to remind them, be good citizens in society. Don't argue and fuss. Don't be divisive. Don't hate one another. Don't live wild, crazy lives. Live godly lives and be ready for every good work. You see, these have to do with how we live in society. You could say this is gospel living. This is how we live out our faith. That's what Paul is communicating. He's saying that you've got to live out your faith in society. Your faith is not just facts about the Bible that you have up here. It's not just a bunch of information that you can quote and you can beat someone in an argument. That's not what your faith is ultimately about. It is about how you live in daily life in this world, among people. And he said, remind them how to do this. You remember Jesus told us that we are salt and light in this world, Matthew 5, 16. And what does he say? Let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good deeds, your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So the reason we're supposed to live a certain way in this world, the reason is, is because it's a testimony to God our Father, God our Savior, as Paul is about to describe Him, and that it will point people to God. That's why we're supposed to live the way that God calls us to live. And in particular, right here, in being ready to do good works, being about good works. See, we're not supposed to be slandering, fussing, fighting, dividing. We're supposed to be gentle and courteous, he says. We're going to talk about gentleness tonight. And how Christians live in this world, how we live in our cities, how we live in our our neighborhoods, how we live in our homes, how we live in our congregations matters and testifies to the glory of God. And we're either magnifying him or we're doing a poor job of representing him. And Paul's saying, remind them, you need to live a godly life in essence. Then Paul reminds them, that 
There was a time when you lived outside of Christ. There was a time when you were doing a lot of different other kind of things before you became a Christian. And that's important to remember. Don't ever act like you didn't ever do anything. Don't ever act like you had it all together. Don't ever act like somebody who's doing something else is so terrible and you've got it all together. He said, you better remember who you used to be and what you were and where you were and what condition you were in before you were a Christian. Don't ever get so, so saved, so to speak, that you're no good, that your, your saltiness is not salty anymore. Don't ever get so righteous, so to speak, that, you're, that you can't uh, connect with people, that you forget where you came from. Because guess what? You still sin, you still fall short, and you're still under construction. Look at verses 4 through 7. Paul reminds them, reminds us, of when we were lost outside of Christ, but then he writes these amazing words about our salvation. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So what is responsible for turning our lives around, for this change in our lives from what we used to be to who we're supposed to be today? What has caused this turnaround? Paul says it's the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior. That's what's responsible. It's the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior. That it, it, What it is is when Jesus appeared to die on the cross for our sins. That is the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appearing in the person of Jesus and on the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus. And what happened when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared? Paul says he saved us. That's what happened. He saved us. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us in Christ. And so our next question might be, well, how did he do that? But first of all, we can think, well, you know, after he just talked about how lost we were and the kinds of lives that we were living outside of Christ, and he's reminding the people on the island of Crete, he's telling Titus, you remind them because not long ago they never heard of Jesus. And they were living all kinds of uh, ways and all kinds of lives, uh, pagan, far, as far from God as they could be, just like us before we were Christians and anyone who's not in Christ. And you don't have to be the worst person in, in town to be lost. Anyone who is not in Christ is, is just as lost as the most lost person, the worst person we might think of in, in society. But he says, remember that because he could go on and say that, therefore, because that's how you lived, you're eternally condemned. You can have nothing to do with God, no hope for salvation. You're written off, you're zapped away with you. That's what he could have done and be totally justified in doing so. But the good news is that's not what God did, is it? He saved us because his loving, his goodness and loving kindness appeared. So he goes on to say, 
that it's in this washing. But now someone called this goodness and loving kindness of God appearing as Paul's profound summary of the gospel. I love the way that that's put. Paul's profound summary of the gospel. And if you think about John 3.16, then you know we, we just read over John 3.16 and we don't even think about it. But when you think about what it really says, then you see it all throughout the New Testament. And that's exactly what Paul is saying right here. He's saying, John 3.16, the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared in Christ and He saved us. That's Paul's profound summary of the gospel message. We were lost, but God saved us. We were unable to save ourselves, but God saved us. We didn't deserve it, but God saved us. And He didn't save us, Paul makes it clear, because of anything we did right or good or righteous, because we can't. In in no way ever could we ever do anything to earn, gain, deserve, or merit our own salvation. Not at all. Nothing we do. There's no works, there's no deeds, no goodness. Nothing. We're absolutely hopeless outside of Christ. Then why did God save us? Look at verse number 5. Verse 5 tells us it was according to God's mercy. According to God's mercy. God's mercy here is God's divine emotion that he felt for us. Think about that. Why did he save us? Because of his mercy for us. His, the way he felt towards us in our state of lostness, of having no hope outside of him, and he had mercy on us and said, I'm going to do something to save them. And that's the gospel message. And so he gives us this grace on the cross. That's what the cross is. It's God's grace. That's what his salvation is. It's his grace. That's what his goodness and loving kindness is. It's his grace. And so verse 5 also tells us how he does this. So his goodness and loving kindness appears in Christ when Christ appeared and he saves us. Well, how does he do it? He says it's in this washing, verse 5. Paul writes, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So this is important to understand. Kinley got into this in class this morning, talking about baptism as we studied that. And almost all scholars agree, as Kinley said, that, that in that Titus chapter 3, verse 5, that this is talking about baptism. Not all of them do, but almost all of them do. But there are different opinions on what Paul is Paul means here. And so what's important that we do is that we understand what does the Bible teach? Not what does a church teach, not what does a person teach, not what does that author teach, but what does God in his word teach that this verse teaches? What, what does the Bible say this verse teaches about baptism? Paul writes that we are saved by, that word also means through, either one is fine, we are saved by the, this washing, through this washing. Well, what is that washing? Well, that word is used in other passages to talk about cleansing. This idea of a cleansing bath is what that means. That's how God uses that word in the New Testament. This idea of a cleansing bath that saves us. And that's what he taught, the way he describes baptism. 
Look at Acts 22, 16. Luke writes, and this is Paul talking about his own conversion story when Ananias tells him. What does he tell him? And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and do what? Wash. That's that same word. Wash away your sins. How are you going to do it? In baptism. That's how you're going to wash away your sins, calling on his name. So he did it in the bath of baptism. So it doesn't make sense then in Titus 3.5 to say that this is just an outward symbol or an outward sign of salvation because the Word of God says that He saves us by or through the washing, not by a symbol, not by an outward sign, not through a symbol, but by the actual washing through the washing, the bath of baptism to be made clean for your sins to be washed away. Paul wrote the same thing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6.11. And such were some of you, but you were what? Washed. You were washed. Then in Ephesians 5.26, this amazing passage where Paul is teaching on marriage as well as Christ and his church. Paul wrote that Jesus cleansed the church, look at this, by the washing of water with the word. That's the same thing. Jesus cleanses his church. So how do you get in the church? How is the church made clean? By, through the washing, the baptism of the water through the word. See, baptism is not a work of righteousness. Paul just made that clear. There's nothing you can do. It's not not a work. Don't, Don't get confused. Don't let people confuse you. It is simply submitting to God in faith to do the things He wants you to do so that you can be cleansed and added to the church. And if that's how God wants to save me, and, and he's going to save me, and that's how the, the, the state my life was in, and the goodness and loving kindness of God is going to appear and save me through Christ. And he says, I want you to be washed, and I'm going to argue with him. I'm going to say, show me where to jump in. Give me the deep end or the shallow end. I'm jumping in. Because that's what God is doing to cleanse me and to save me. See, it's when we're baptized into Christ, Paul shows us, that we're regenerated. You see that word, this washing of regeneration and renewal? Well, what's this regeneration? The regeneration is when you're made new in Christ. That's your new life. Romans chapter 6, as Kenley referred to this morning. So that's that, that it happens at one point in time when you're raised to walk in newness of life, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5. That's that regeneration. You've been given this new life in Christ. But then this renewal is what you have available to you every day as you walk in Christ. As you go to the throne of God through prayer and ask for forgiveness, as you, as you strive to live for Him, as you mess up and repent and keep on getting up and, and trying to live for Him, that daily process of spiritual growth and striving to glorify Him in your life, that's that renewal, that spiritual growth that He gives you in your life. And that comes after the washing of regeneration, but it gives you access to the renewal day by day. Now look at verses 8 through 11. Look at what Paul says next. He reminds us of our salvation, and then he says, This saying is trustworthy. 
And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to what? Good works. That's the second time we've heard Paul talk about good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they're unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. So Paul returns to this, the importance of the church devoting themselves to good works. He says, we live as salt and light in this world. We've got to live like that. We've got to live like we're salt and light of Christ in this dark world. We've got to live like salt and light in our neighborhoods, on our jobs, in our own homes. We've got to live like that, and sometimes that's really hard to do. But that's what we're called to do. And then he says in verse number 8, Be careful to devote them yourselves themselves to good works. Be careful. What does that mean? Why would he say be careful? What does he mean by that? What that means is to give sustained thought to it, to focus on that, to pay attention to that, to be mindful, thoughtful, to do good works, intentional. That's what he means by that. Be careful, be be attentive to do good works. This needs to be a priority. So, so church is not just about coming together and singing and, and, and enjoying one another on Sunday morning. That's it. There's got to be more to it. We've got work to do. Now, now, through our good works, remember Jesus said, then that points them to God. They, they'll glorify your God and Father in heaven because if we're doing good works, then that opens the door for us to share the gospel with people. You see, and that points that that means pointing people to God so they can glorify God, our father in heaven. So that's why we want all people and all members in this congregation to be actively involved in ministry. That's why Matt is our deacon over involvement. He his 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 task, his ministry is to coordinate members being involved in ministry. That's why we're intentional about that. Because at the Buller Church of Christ, we want all members actively engaged in some form of ministry, one way or another. Those some of those might be regular, weekly, if not daily things. Maybe they're just seasonal things. Maybe they're based on event. Maybe you do a few things. You don't have to do a hundred things, but we want everyone involved in some way or another in the ministry of the church. And then aside from that, you've got your own ministry in the circles that you live in and the places you go and the people that you're connected with. You've got opportunities to do God's work. This point is so important that Paul repeats it even three times. Skip down to verse number 14. As we close out, he repeats this three times in one chapter. In verse 14, he writes, And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. Because, uh, uh, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So why is this so important for faithful churches to be paying attention and devoted to good works? Because we know that what God has done for us. We know that God has saved us. And it's that salvation that motivates us to be dedicated and devoted to good works. 
because we know the forgiveness that we have. And that motivates us to want to do good works to spread the gospel so that we have opportunities to share our faith. The gospel is our motivation and our salvation is our reminder of how we're supposed to live today. Finally, we live as salt and light in this world because the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared and saved us. That's why we live doing good works to live being salt and light in this world. Because we know the power of God that saved us. We know from what he saved us from. We know what he did for us. And we want that for others. We want that for our family. We want that for our coworkers and our neighbors. We want that for our children. And praise God that he did that for us. All of us who were so undeserving. The goodness and loving kindness of God. When it appeared, he saved us. If we can help you this morning, if you want prayers, maybe you hadn't been living like that. Maybe you need encouragement. Maybe you're going through something. Maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism and have that regeneration and renewal. Whatever your need is, we're here for you this morning as we stand and sing.